0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. I want to talk to you about our having faith in the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost, the ministry of the Spirit, tonight but I also want to first of all start by just reviewing a few things I talked about on Friday at healing class and also on Sunday and this really was an impartation to my spirit to do it because if you weren't here this is so essential it is so necessary it's so important for us to understand some of these blessed truths so that we can be equipped to fight the good fight of faith and grab a hold of what belongs to us and fulfill our destiny and accomplish the purposes of God's will in our lives. And so in the book of Psalms 107, the first couple of verses here. Oh God, oh oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. If that's the only reason we should, then we should. He's good. He's eternally good. Infinitely good. For his mercy endureth forever. Aren't you glad? There's no limit to it. There's no end to it. It endures forever. So let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say what? That the Lord is good. And his mercies endure forever. Can we say that? The Lord is good. Say Lord you are good. good. Your mercy endures forever. Have you been redeemed? Then the redeemed should say so. Why? Because he redeemed us out of the hand of the enemy. Glory be to God. Isn't that good to know? We've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. We're no longer part of his kingdom. He has no jurisdiction over us. We've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. We serve a good God who loves each and every one of us unconditionally. Period. We talked about how the evils that are experienced in this life in which we live, the sufferings that are experienced in the life in which we live here upon the earth, they don't come from God. He's not the one who's behind it. All the evil that exists in this world today is the result of Lucifer and Adam, both deciding to act apart from God's will for their existence. And when they stepped beyond the boundaries of his will, they got themselves into huge trouble. And so it's important that we all understand and that we know that the evils we experience, the sufferings that we experience, really are the results of three major things. Number one, Satan imposing his will upon mankind. In the garden, he wasn't there negotiating anything trying to explain to Adam and Eve, well, there's really two paths you could take. There's two ways that you can go. You know, you can follow me because, you know, I I rebelled against God and I'd like to list as many as I can on my team so that we can all go together to the lake of fire. Mm -mm. He didn't unfold his strategy or his plan. Now he had no good intentions whatsoever. And so he imposed his will upon mankind by deceiving Adam, really Eve, and then Adam following along. Uh, and that opened up the door to all the evils that we experience in this realm of life. And we see this in the woman that was bowed over for how many years? 18 years. In Luke, Luke 13, verse 16. Uh, Jesus commenting, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound. Who had her bound? And didn't Acts 10, 38 say that Satan is the one that oppressed all the people that Jesus healed? He had her bound for 18 years. It wasn't the work of God. It wasn't the will of God. It wasn't the power of God. It wasn't anything that God did to cause this. It was Satan himself imposing his will upon this woman's life for 18 years. Shouldn't she be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus is all about setting people free, not putting them in bondage. But the devil imposed his will. And then secondly, we also said that it's the result of natural consequences because of the fallen condition that we are under as a result of that transgression. And we showed you in John's gospel in chapter 9. Jesus was passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. In other words, he was just born blind. And look at the rest of this. His disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. So what Jesus was saying was this. It wasn't, he didn't sin, his parents didn't sin. He was born that way because of the fallen condition that we're living in in this world. And when man separated himself from God by his own choice, he opened up the door to the kingdom of darkness and all that is evil, including birth defects, and the list goes on and on. But it wasn't that God did it. It was the natural condition, the consequence of living in a fallen state, a fallen world. Of course, Jesus then healed the man, and the work of God was wrought in his life, and everybody gave glory to God as a result. And then the third thing we understand is that it's true for anyone. We can open up the door to all the suffering and evils because of the sinful choices that people make in life. And we showed you this in John chapter 5 and verse 14. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple. This is the man that was lame at the gate of the... I mean, this is, he was lame, and he was at the pool of Bethesda. And you know the story. He got healed when Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And he says, I have nobody to put me in the water and so on and so forth. But like I said, get the tape on Sunday morning to give you all the details about it. But he said to him, behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more lest the worst thing come unto thee. Sin no more lest something worse happens to you. Is what he sought him out for. To tell him and let him know that. So we can see that sin can open up the door to evil. It cut up the, do- the door to sickness and disease and tragedy and so on and so forth. These are the three major reasons why there's sickness, disease, and evil and suffering and all these things that are in this world. God had nothing to do with it. It was not the will of God that this happened. Now, next we talked about the fact there are three attitudes that exist in people's lives and their mindsets, the mindsets that people have. And we understand that some people live by the kesara, sara attitude. What will be, will be. And really it's been even from pulpits taught to people within congregations that God's in control of everything and everything that takes place and happens in the earth. He's basically the designer of it all. And so therefore, since whatever happens is going to happen anyhow, then you might as well just live by that, that, that anthem. (laughs) Que Sada, Doris Day sang the song. What will be will be. Well, is that really true? What will be, will be. Is God really in control? You know, some Christians get offended when you say, God's not in control of everything. Oh my goodness, he's sovereign. Yes, he is. Everything that happens, happens because he's behind it. Really? Was he behind the shooting with all those people that died in that Texas church, that Baptist church, especially infants, were not just shot once, mutilated. That's incomprehensible. And for someone to think that God could have possibly said, this is part of my plan. And we could name so many different things. How many women are raped every day? How many teenage girls are are kidnapped and taken into prostitution? How many were blown up in the Twin Towers? How many died there? The Boston Marathon, and the list goes on and on. Whether it's Columbine, whether it's Virginia Tech University. Is God in control of all that? No, not at all. Is God in control when someone takes their their life and commits suicide? Is God in control when a person is abused and beaten? uh, Possibly, you know, abused sexually, physically, mentally, and and many other different ways. God's not in control of all that. And for some reason, people just think that, well, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. You can't control it. That's not true. You can control your destiny. I'll tell you that right now. And you can change it. Then you've got number two, an attitude of the quitter. They're just going to quit and give up just because why? Because someone said it can't be done. Boy, don't tell that to the woman with the issue of blood because she wasn't going to stop until she touched the hem of his garment. Don't tell that to blind Bartimaeus because blind Bartimaeus was not going to be silenced by the destiny thieves. He was going to sit back and just let them overshadow him with their voices because they viewed him as some lower strata of human experience and living. Considered him to be someone who was blind, outcast, someone that was under the curse of God, under the judgment of God, and God didn't care about his life, and so on and so forth. But I'll tell you what, he got everybody's attention when he screamed out all the louder, wouldn't be silenced by those destiny thieves, and he says, thou son of David, you're the Messiah. He had no physical sight, but he had spiritual insight, and he knew more than what even all the scribes and the Pharisees did when he called him to be the Messiah, son of David. And then, of course, we understand the rest of the story. And he was healed, delivered, and set free and made whole. Why? Because he wasn't going to let anyone silence him and stop him from receiving. He wasn't going to be a quitter. The, tough, the going might get tough, but why don't let anybody stop us from reaching out and getting a hold of the things that God has provided for us. And then we have the la- uh, last one, and that's exactly what we should be, the spirit of a fighter. That means I refuse to give up no matter what it looks like, what it feels like, no matter what the professionals say. No matter what religious people say, I am going to fight for what belongs to me. I am not going to give up. I'm not going to faint. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm going to grab a hold of it. I'm going to make it a reality in my life. Whatever I need to do, I'm going to do it because you've got the spirit of a fighter. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 is where, of course, Paul made this very clear. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. It's a fight of faith. And really you're fighting against your feelings. Your emotions. We're fighting against reports. That are natural reports. But not necessarily good reports. But they're natural reports. Fight the good fight of faith. That means we've got to put forth effort and energy. To to do our part. To resist what's coming against us. Lay hold of what? On what? Eternal life. This is what eternal life is all about. It's all about what belongs to me in Christ. Basically. We should all have this understanding in Revelation. The work's been done at Calvary. There's not one more thing that Jesus has to do for any of us. He did it all at Calvary. And when he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the new and everlasting covenant went to effect. And you and I are beneficiaries of that covenant. And we have an inheritance. And everything that belongs to us by inheritance, praise God, is ours. But the enemy doesn't want us to know it. And he wants to stop us from experiencing it. It's up to us to make a decision that I'm going to fight for everything that belongs to me. I'm not going to cave in. I'm not going to faint, lose heart. I am going forth in Jesus' mighty name to lay hold of what belongs to me. I've been called to it. And I professed a good profession or confession before many witnesses. So I'm going to fight. I'm going to lay hold. And I'm going to confess. It belongs to me. It is mine. It is mine. And you know what? Even it means my body's got to line up. The checkbooks got to line up. Relationships have to line up. Whatever has to line up, you're going to have a, a fighting spirit. Now remember, Jesus had a fighting spirit. Jesus was an overcomer. Look at John 16, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you're going to have what? Tribulation. He said that. I understand that. But be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. There's no overcoming if there wasn't a fight along the way. He overcame, he fought the fight of faith. He stood for what he knew was true. And as a result, he overcame death, hell, and the grave for you and for me. But he said, you can be of good cheer because I've overcome the world and I did it for you. But then secondly, it's also important to know that Paul, who's writing this, was taught all this by Jesus. Jesus taught him the revelation that he has. And here's what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought a good fight. Let those words just reverberate. I have fought a good fight. Do we think we're going to escape this life without fighting a good fight? We are going to have to put up resistance. We're going to have to resist the devil and get him to flee from us. We're going to have to take a stand, lay hold, confess, and declare the truth of God's word. This is my inheritance. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. We all have a course to finish. It is your course. It is my course. We all have a course to finish. And we're on that course. And the enemy wants to get us off that course and who bring everything our way to get us off track, get us off the course that we're on. But praise God, we can set aside all those things that easily beset us and run our race with patience by looking to Jesus who is ahead of us and following him. I've kept the faith, he said. Henceforth, there is a crown, there is a, there is a, a goal. He, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, that love is appearing. Do you love his appearing tonight? Are we fighting for what is the best that he has to offer us? We all should. Why? Because he died for it. He shed his blood for it. And it's ours. It belongs to us. And we shouldn't allow an enemy to steal it from us or take it from us. We stand against all the powers of darkness. We stand against the forces of evil. We've got the the, the armor of God that that protects us and keeps us safe. But we've got to take it up a step. We've got to take it up a notch. Take it up to the next level. And get vehement just like Bartimaeus did. Just like the one with the issue of blood did. I'm not going to sit back with a quesadal attitude and sit in my little college and just wait for Jesus to come by. I'm going after him. Praise God. And I will touch him. Or blind Bartimaeus, silenced by the Destiny thieves. Shh, 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 shh. You're making too much noise. You're a nobody out here. Just keep on begging. Your, your cup, they actually said, your cup will be full here pretty soon. Don't don't be concerned about it. They didn't get it, did they? He didn't want his cup full. He wanted his eyesight. He could fill his cup many times with his eyesight. That's what he wanted. And he wasn't going to be silenced. But I wish you had the same attitude. We're going to touch him. We're not going to be silenced. We're getting what belongs to us. Why? Because he died for us to have it. And it belongs to us. So no matter what it is, we're not going to stand for it. Amen? If it comes from the kingdom of darkness, then look at 1 John 5, 4. Because we too have to have the spirit of a fighter. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Well, what is it, John? Even our faith. Our faith. Not faith in ourselves. Our faith in the accomplishments of Jesus. Our faith in the finished work of Calvary and all that he did to secure for us the inheritance that we can and should enjoy. You died for it Jesus. I am grabbing a hold of it. I'm taking it. I'm declaring it. I'm confessing it. And by my faith I choose to rise up above it all and overcome. Praise God. And that means from the the rising of the sun to the going of the same I am going to praise you for what you have done for me before I ever see a manifestation of it I'm going to praise you for my victory I'm going to praise you for uh, the anointing upon my life for your glory to rest upon me I'm going to praise you praise God that I have the grace that enables me to obey you a spirit of obedience to rest upon me throughout the course of this day I've said it recently and we should all begin practicing it and doing it instead of throwing yourself out of bed and barely getting out of bed and Getting your feet to hit the ground and just thinking about another humdrum, just day I got to go to work and all that and complain. You know, rather than complain about that, what about this? I'm still alive. My eyes are open. Praise God. I've got breath that I can breathe. I get out of these covers. I'm gonna lift my hands. I'm gonna praise you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna thank you. And if something needs to be made right, I'm gonna thank you that it's made right by your power, by your might, by your glory. I'm gonna give you my voice. I'm gonna give you my faith. I'm gonna exchange my faith. For the victory that I have in Jesus. And so this is the day that you've made for me to rejoice and be glad. And I will rejoice and I will be glad. And your spirit will rest upon me and manifest in, in, in obedience in my life. And I will serve you. I will walk with you. I will talk with you. I will be changed from glory to glory. And Father God, everywhere I go, I'm going to be a shining light. I'm going to be an example to others. I'm going to speak the word of God. I'm going to speak to their hearts and minds about you, Jesus. And what you've done for them. And how you died for them. And, and just keep on. Hallelujah. Having a different mindset and attitude. Daily, day by day. Okay, look at the book of, um, now, book of Ecclesiastes because this is so important for all of us to really grasp and get a hold of. You realize that we're not getting any younger. Anyone realize that here? To everything there is a what? There is a what? A season. Notice he's talking about a season. And then a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. In this context, he is comparing birth and death to planting and reaping. Birth and death to planting and reaping. Well, I said Sunday, if I were to enlist all you to join together with me tonight, we're going to go outside of those doors and we're going to plant some tomato plants out there in the grass. We're going to dig it up a little first and then fertilize it real well. Then plant some tomato plants. How many of you would look at me and think I was crazy? It's not the season, is it? So if it's not the season, it's not the time for that purpose under the sun. Do we get that? It's not the season. Well, what if I said December? January? February. It's not the season, so then it's not the time. Okay and if I did plant in end of May, Memorial Day weekend, I planted I wouldn't expect to reap June the 1st why? it's not the season so it's not the time so we understand that when it comes to farming well when it comes to being born and it comes to dying there's a time to be born, spring that's the season and there's a time to die in the late summer, early fall that's when you reap. That's when you pluck up uh, what's been planted. So what is he saying? So when people say, "Well, oh, it must be their time to die, when they're only 44, 45, maybe 35, even 60. Wait a minute. They take that out of context. The word time there actually means due season. Your due season. The due season then for dying is the same like the due season for harvesting what's been planted. That means at the end of a person's life, when they fully matured, that's when it's time for them to go home and be with the Lord, to live out the full length of their days here upon the earth. Now, I realize that doesn't always happen, but that doesn't mean it's not true. You see, it's up to us to recognize what's been offered us, what we have, what has been provided for us. And through an understanding of the word of God, apply the principles of the word by faith to these situations of life so that we can rise up and overcome and stop saying something like it must be their time. No, it's not. Their time is when they're of a, read Psalm 92, when they're of a ripe old age and still bearing fruit unto righteousness for God. Just like the, the trees that, live, that are stately of Lebanon. Remember he talked about those? Same thing with life. The time to be born is spring. The time to die is at the harvest time when one is fully matured, gray-haired, looked out his full length of his days, and now he's ready to be carted off into heaven to be with the Lord. That's what he is saying. And to show us that we can die prematurely before our time, look at at also Ecclesiastes 7 verse 17. Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why should you die before your due season? time your due season wait a minute if one can die before his time what does that mean he didn't live out the full length of his days so that time wasn't the time he was supposed to die he was supposed to live out the full length of his days and then go and be with the lord but because of what reason foolish living not walking with god i grew up in youngstown ohio I said, or I think I said it Sunday, or I told, I told somebody, it was nothing to wake up in the morning and people never blew up, blown up in their cars. One guy was coming out of his house and a, a bomb was under his porch and it just blew him up because they were all involved with the mafia, the mafia. And as a result of that kind of living, their lives were in danger and they were blown up. That was before their time. Next one, uh, Psalm 55, verse 23. Mm-hmm. But thou, O God, shalt bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. So what's he saying? People can die before their time or their due season. Why? Based on their lifestyle. And um, if they don't live right. And if they get involved in wickedness and evil doings get involved with the wrong people, they can die prematurely. People get involved in drugs and alcohol and, and different things like that. And they go driving a car, get into a wreck and they die before their due season. Okay, Psalm 118 verse 17 reveals to us one of the most powerful scriptures that will help us develop faith to stay alive. I shall not die, but live so I can play football. So I can dance. So I can sing. How about so I can declare the works of the Lord? Oh, you talk about a focus. I am alive to serve you, Lord. I surrender my heart to you, my mind to you, my will to you, my life to you, that everything I possess, all that I have, all that I am, I deny myself to take up my cross and follow you, to serve you. I will go where you have me to go and do what you want me to do and say what you want me to say. I am yours. I will not die but live. Why? To declare the works of the Lord. And you talk about the works, what great and mighty works he has done for every single one of us. And so it's important that we rise up. With a spirit of faith and absolutely refuse to allow the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy, to stop us from experiencing the things that he has provided for us. And if we're here even tonight and maybe you're battling something in your body, and you never know who's battling something in their body around, but I just encourage you, as I know you would encourage me, to stand firm and stand strong and start proclaiming it and start declaring it. If you say you haven't seen results, well, you know what? Take it up a notch. Take it up a notch. I'm going to praise you, Jesus. You bore my sickness. You carried my pain. With your stripes, I was healed. I'm going to thank you for forgiving all my sin, healing all my diseases, body. Line up with the word of God. I will have what I say and I'm saying. Line up with the word of God. Line up with what Jesus has done. Praise God. And and just keep on and keep on and absolutely get so caught up in it. Praise God that you just get overwhelmed by the anointing of God, the glory of God, the power of God, the, the spirit of God, just moving upon your heart and mind, making it good in your life. So I know it's a struggle. I know it's a fight because the body doesn't really want to respond to what the word teaches. It wants to just lay down and just say, I'm sick. I don't feel well, etc., etc. Pain wants to take over our lives, our bodies, and just say, I'm the dominant force here. But you see, it's, it's important that we realize we've been given authority. We've been given power over all the power of the enemy. And it's up to us to speak the word of faith, the word of truth over our situations that we encounter in life. Take it up a notch. Get more adamant about it. Next segment. Faith in the Spirit of God. I want you to look with me in chapter 8. Because this is really what really want to get to. Matthew, I mean, Romans chapter 8. In this chapter, what a classic, what a wonderful piece of literary work. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, just amazing. I mean Romans. What an amazing manuscript. And all that he taught here about being saved by faith. And the gospel being the power of God to salvation in chapter 7 talking about how you know, he, under the law he couldn't do what he wanted to do, did what he didn't want to do, et cetera, et cetera. But he's been delivered from the body of his death because of the law, the spirit of life that, that is in Christ Jesus, made him free from a law, sin and death. But then he goes on to say, the verses prior to this, he says, a man that's walking in the carnal mind cannot please God. When our carnal mind is in control, we can't please God. That's enmity against God because we don't think the way God wants us to think. But then he goes on to say that you're not In the flesh. You're not controlled by a carnal mind. If you're in Christ. You've got the mind of Christ. And the spirit of God is in you. But look at that verse 11. If the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead. Just stop right there. The spirit of him that did what? Took this emaciated body of Christ. And raised it from the dead. And glorified it. And made it whole. If he dwells in you. He that raised the Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the next evangelist that comes down the pike. How? By the spirit that lives next door to you. Where is he dwelling? In us. Hallelujah. See, too often we Probably suffer from maybe low self esteem and inferiority or sin consciousness and all that. And he can't be talking about me. He's talking about you. If you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you have got the very person, the third person of deity that raised up Jesus from the dead. He is living in your mortal body, in your spirit. He's on the inside of you, he's on the inside of me. And what's he saying he's going to do in there? quicken our mortal bodies. And so when I say faith in the spirit, what am I saying? I believe in the Holy Ghost who's in me. I believe he's quickening my mortal body. I say he's giving health and strength and life to my mortal body. That's not talking about the resurrection. That's talking about you right now, us right now. He will quicken your mortal body. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in me and quickening my body right now. Thank you, Holy Ghost, for quickening my mortal body. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for quickening my mortal body. And there is an unleashing, a release of the anointing, of the power, of the glory. We've got the glory in the earthen vessel, and it'll be released, and he'll begin to work. But do we believe that? Do we really, truly, truly have faith in that fact that He's alive in me, He's alive in you? What's He doing? He's he's only going to do what, what we say. And when we speak and proclaim the Word, He'll begin to act upon that Word and make it a reality. The Holy Ghost is living in me and He's quickening my mortal body. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you're going to what? Die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, Ye shall live for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Now notice this. They are the sons of God. He's in there now to do what? To lead us. To direct us and guide us. Then he goes on to say, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. A personal, intimate relationship and fellowship that we have with the creator of the universe, the Father himself. So the Holy Spirit on the inside of us enables us to cry out, father in other words you've given birth to me i'm your son i'm your daughter and if children they're going to say this the spirit of bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You notice how he's talking about the Spirit, and you notice that it's Paul, and you notice that Paul didn't have any of these conversations with any of the apostles before this, but Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16 talked about the advent of the Holy Spirit, talked about the working of the Holy Spirit, and made a lot of mention about the work of the Holy Spirit when he comes. Now, Paul picks up on that because he was taught by Jesus, and he said, look, the Spirit on the inside of you will quicken your body, he will lead you and guide you, and also, what's he going to do? Bear witness that you're a child of Almighty God. Look no Further than inside your heart, your spirit, to know whether or not you are a child of God. Because he will witness to your spirit that you are and make it a reality. So if we're children, then heirs. We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. So if so be that we suffer with him, we shall be also glorified together with him. And then in the next verses, that we're going to go down here to, to verse 26. But in the verses in between, what's he talking about? The whole world that we live in is groaning and travailing right now so that the curse could possibly be lifted. You know, to give a visual. Anybody ever here see um, Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. <laughs> the curse that was on the castle, the curse that was on the people and all that sort of thing. I know it's just a, it's a television show and all that. It's, it's, it's rated G. But what happens when the curse is lifted? All of a sudden, things are beautiful as they ought to be. Well, can we imagine a fact that the world that we're living in is under the curse of the fall. It is not the condition created by Almighty God. Things are not happening in this earth that God designed, that God wants. We're living under a curse and even a tornado, even an earthquake, even uh, a hurricane, which insurance companies say these are acts of God, flooding an act of God and all that. We can't pay for because act of God. No, 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 no. God did not do any of it. That is the earth groaning and travailing, wanting to be free from the curse that it's under. And he talked about how they one day will be delivered and set free from the curse. And we too, our mortal bodies that we're living in, one day will be completely, totally free from the curse. Never to have a heartache or a pain No more sorrow, no more suffering, no more crying, no more dying, all those things that we want to get out from beneath, praise God, one day it will be a reality and we'll never experience it ever again in our lives. And thank God for that. But in the meantime, until that occurs, that we get our glorified body, look at verse 26. He says, likewise, the spirit helps what? Our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit, now he goes again, once again, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, he helps us. Now the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And the groanings he was talking about, like the groanings in the earth to be free from the curse. So there are some things that we need free from. And if we find ourselves in a situation where we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We're not getting any results. We could lean upon, rely upon, depend upon the Spirit of God who is where? Inside of us. And oh, just bring it up out of our spirits. Just birth it out of our spirits as we recognize He's there. As we acknowledge He is there. As we yield to Him being in there. I'll be honest with you. This is a major reason why people need to get filled with Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. Because you know what? You're limited in what you can say in your own language. You're limited, You're limited in my understanding and my knowledge and wisdom and revelation. But the Holy Ghost, he knows all things. He, the Holy Ghost inside of us, he'll make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be articulated in the speech that we have. And he that searched the hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So now we have this activity of the spirit. And why is it that it seems as though that, yeah, we know the Father, and we know Jesus and what He did, but why is it that we're maybe not as aware or keenly aware of the Holy Spirit and what He is doing and wants to do in each and every one of our lives? It seems like some even feel as though when it, when it comes to this, push that aside, we don't really need that. Oh, yes, we do. He sent the Holy Ghost from above when He went back to heaven, did He not? He came and entered the upper room, did He not, and foot all, every single one of them. Think about it. He filled them all to let them all know you all need me. Every single one of you need me. Not half of them, 50 of them, and the other 50, or 60 of them, and other 60 forget. No, every single one of them needed this. No wonder the devil will fight us tooth and nail to tell us, all you're doing is speaking gibberish. All you're doing is making up words, making up sounds, blah, blah, blah. And they will tell you, you don't need that. You don't need that. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. Because he does not want you to have the ability to generate the miracle working power that's in your spirit. And as you pray in the Holy Ghost, you activate the power of the Holy Spirit within you so that he can do exactly what he said right there. Pray out the perfect will of God. And notice Verse 28. And I'm going to slay this thing tonight. We're going to kick over this sacred cow tonight. Again, a little bit we did last week. This sacred cow right there, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. No, that's not the way we interpret Scripture. We don't take that out of there, put it over here and say, everything works together for good. Oh, so you're telling me the bomb that went off in the Boston Marathon was working together for their good. Someone fell down the stairs and broke their leg and that was working together for his or her good. I actually had a person, I won't say the denomination that he came from, but one time we were talking about this particular scripture, you know what he said to me? Let me explain it to you thoroughly. I said, okay, I'm ready for it. Listen, I want to listen to what you have to say. There's a bear trap there. You step into it and, of course, it hurts. He said, "Um, you want to get out of there. But you don't know that that thing's working together for your good because if you step out backwards, you're going to fall off a cliff and die. I said, that's your explanation? Theology 101, that's your explanation of that scripture? So God knew that if I would get out that I would step over backwards and I would fall over and die. And so it's working together for my good? First of all, that scripture in the NIV translation, it's not all things work together for good. We know that God is at work so that in all things, no matter what it is, He will see to it that whatever the situation is, He'll make that turn around for our good. This is not saying that whatever happens, happens, God's in control of everything. As a matter of fact, let's. my personal thoughts on this verse of Scripture is this. He delivered us from the law of sin and death. We live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 2. Same chapter, but verse 2. The spirit of God is on the inside of us, quickening our mortal bodies. The spirit leads us and directs us and guides us. The spirit witnesses that we are the children of God. The spirit helps us groan when we're in need of knowing what to pray for as we ought And the Spirit, praise God, is praying out the perfect will of God. And now we know that all these things are working together for our good. All these things, meaning the redemption that we have, the law of the Spirit of life, the groaning of the Spirit, all those things work together for our good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. That's what's working together for our good. These other things, what about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy? That's what he comes to do. That's not working together for our good. You know, and someone is mentally, uh, let's say, challenged. And he goes into a church building and kills all these people. At least I'm assuming that he was. But even mutilates bodies. Matter of fact, I don't know if you read anything about it. But the one fellow that went in there, he heard about people that had died. But he says he could not even, when he got in there, he couldn't believe it. He wasn't ready for what he saw. He didn't just kill people. He mutilated people including infants, just mutilated their bodies, not one bullet. Who thinks like that? Is that working together for that church's good, for those people's good? No, that's not what that verse means. It means everything that God does, all that God imparts to us, all that he's provided for us will work together for our good because we love God, we're called according to his purpose. And what's his purpose? Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Who he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to what? These things. You see what things? All these things. Here's what we say to these things, Paul said. If God be for us. Hallelujah. Who could be against us? If God is for me, who can be against me? It's, he went on to say, He that spurred not his only son, but deliver him up first of all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God who justified. It's he who, Who's he that condemneth? It's Christ that died and rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also make intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God. The love of Christ. Self-tribulation. Distress. Persecution. Famine. Nakedness. Or peril. Or But what about the sword? As it is written. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep before the slaughter. Nay in all these things. We are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. We're more than conquerors. I'm persuaded that look. What confidence Paul had. And this man went through a lot in his life. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers or things present or things that come not not height, depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in other words, he made an investment in every single one of us. He made a deposit of his own personal nature. He deposited his glory in jars of clay like you and me. His glory has actually entered in. His Shekinah glory is on the inside of us. What kind of faith do we have in the ability of the Holy Ghost in us? He's able to do for us exceeding abundantly. But all do we ask or think how? According to the power that's at work where? Not outside, but on the inside of us. We've got this glory in earthen vessels. We need to educate ourselves. The work's been done. The Holy Ghost has been sent. He's on the inside of us. He's working on the inside of us. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge you today. Praise God. You are quickening my mortal body. You're leading me. You're guiding me. You're bearing witness to my spirit. I'm a child of God. You are helping me. Grown out the perfect will of God in my life. Praise God. And you are conforming me to the very image of Jesus. And nothing in this life, praise God, can separate me from the love of the Father. Nothing whatsoever. Jesus died for me. And praise God, I have all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's an attitude that God wants us to develop and He wants us to have. Faith in the Holy Spirit in all those areas. Is He quickening your motor body right now? If you acknowledge it, He will. Look at John 16, 7. These are the words of Jesus and they should be so impacting to us. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, profitable, beneficial to your advantage that I go away. Wait a minute. What do you mean, Lord? It is expedient, beneficial, profitable, to your advantage, that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Wow. Why, Jesus? Can you imagine how that broke their hearts? I have to leave you. Because you see, if I stay here, then I'm only in one geographical location at a time. But if I go and I send the Holy Ghost... He will come and take my place in your life and not just yours, but anyone and everyone that will call upon my name. I will send him and he'll be everywhere at the same time in every person's life who calls upon his holy name. And look at uh, John chapter 14. Here's where Jesus talked about this ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we really, really want to get more involved in. This is from the Amplified. If you really love me, you will keep or obey my commandments or my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, another one Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Intercessor, Advocate, Strengthener, and Standby, that he may remain with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, welcome, or take to his heart, its heart because it does not see him. Or know and recognize him, but you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, helpless. I will come back. I will come back to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is saying, I will come back to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And you will know that I am with you. The Holy Spirit is the combined presence of God the Father and God the Son. Living in the life of a child of Almighty God. But now notice those words. You see the Greek word there, paraclete? The Amplified Bible does a good um, rendering of what that Greek word means, the paraclete. I am, in other words, I will be to you a comforter. And that Greek word paraclete, look at the seven different words. We're going to put them up there. The paraclete, the comforter. The comforter is the one who has come and he's going to contribute to our well-being in spirit, soul, and body. So, in other words, if we need comfort in any area of our lives, any area of our lives, the Holy Spirit will be there to provide the comfort that we need. If it's spiritual, he'll provide it. If it's emotional, he'll provide it. If it's physical, he will provide it. If we're bereaved, he'll manifest himself in comforting grace in our lives. To give us assurance within our lives, within our hearts. So here he outlines the work of the Holy Spirit that we need to believe in. We are not left without comfort. We're not left without a helper. We're not left without someone that will stand by our side and see to it that he provides for us all that we need. This ministry of the Holy Spirit, he's not just some, some uh, mist out there somewhere somewhere. He is a person living in you and me. And this is his job. This is his duty. This is what he wants to do. Not just quicken our mortal bodies and all the other things that we said, but to bring comfort. He's my comforter. No, he's my counselor next. And what's the counselor? He's the one that offers the advice that we need to help us, to point us in the direction that we should be going in. And we all need direction, don't we? We all need guidance, don't we? Lord, what do I do in this situation? Well, when I say faith in the Holy Ghost, the point is this. Do we have faith in the Holy Spirit? Do we have faith the fact that he's living in me to direct me and point me? That's the way walk in it. And this takes practice. We have to learn to yield to, listen to the Holy Spirit because he knows what's best for us. Do you remember when Paul the Apostle was going to go and preach in a certain place and the Holy Ghost forbid him to go? He said, you're not allowed to go there. They don't want you to go there. They're not ready for to receive you there. You realize that when it comes to people, even in our lives, you might want to really proclaim the truth to somebody, but you might get this little thing on the inside of you that says, don't do it. They're not ready for it yet. And then after a while, maybe you get a release to go ahead and do it. But he's there to advise us. He's there to counsel us, to direct us, to instruct us, to help us. So he is not just a comforter. He's a counselor. He is a helper. And what does a helper do? A helper is the one that doesn't do it by himself. But the helper comes along and says, I'll be there to assist you in whatever needs to be done. I will assist you. Do you remember in Isaiah 41 verse 10, Fear not, for I'm with you, but not in I'm your God. And he said, I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. The word help there back in the the, um, Hebrew actually means, I will make an advance towards you and supply you with what you need. And guess what? If I don't have it, I will create it for you. You can't go wrong there, can you? But we need to know him as the one who is our helper. He's there to help us along the way, to give us what we need to make us a success. Because if we're just looking at ourselves, we're not having faith in the helper. He's an advocate. What's an advocate do? He's looking out for your best interest, is he not? When Krista was in the hospital. And I was there many, 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 many days, but she was, she was there every day. She never left the hospital. And she was Andrew's advocate. And there were different times, thank God, that she was there. Because we're human, and humans make mistakes. And he, he had to get up, or she had to get up and stand up for him on two different occasions I can think of right now that could have been life-threatening. One where they were going to give the wrong medication, and she says, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not for him. And she ended up being right. Another time when he was in a situation where he was dehydrated, and they said, No, 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 we we're monitoring him, he's not dehydrated. Oh yes, he was. She took him off the monitors, took him over to the, the, the desk and said, He's dehydrated, got a hold of the, the doctor who came down and agreed with her, not the others, that he's dehydrated. But that's what an advocate does. He couldn't speak for himself. But praise God, we have an advocate. Someone who's looking out for our best interest. And then the next one, we have an intercessor. Someone Who intervenes someone who is there for us to intervene for us and like I said there are times when we don't know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit of God will intercede he'll make intercession for us and guess what does it really matter if it comes out as a groaning that you can't articulate there have been times when groanings came out of the spirit that saved human lives and so even though he, he manifests himself in that particular way, whether it's other tongues or groanings from within. See, the church has not been taught to yield to these manifestations of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, one of the groanings that takes place is especially when you're praying for someone who's lost. And you don't really know how to pray, what to pray for, rather, as you ought. We don't know how to pray. We could pray for a person to be saved. But we don't know exactly what to pray for as we ought. But does God know that person better than you and I do? good God by his spirit pray perfectly for that person but he needs me he needs your body and there you are and you begin to lift up this person truly from your heart not this little itty bitty prayer but from your heart you're saying God I'm going to stand at a gap I'm going to make it a hedge make up the hedge I'm going to pray for that person I'm going to pray for these results or whatever it is you're praying about when all of a sudden you can take upon yourself the very burden that that person has you take on the characteristics that that person is going through it's almost like it's transferred over to you and there's release of the spirit and that person then is released or relieved from that force and all, then able to come to Christ. That's what this intercessor will do for us. So, so if we don't know how to pray for and it, it's groaning and, and praying in other tongues so be it. What a weapon to have. But now notice the next one. After intercessor he's your what? Strengthener. What does a strengthener do? Makes you stronger. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. The miracle working power of God. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us stronger. You see, if we would spend some time praying in the Spirit, praying with other tongues, off in our little corner of our own world, driving in our car, whatever, you will be amazed and surprised at the energy of the Spirit that will rise up big in your life, whether you're in the workplace, uh, whether you're just uh, playing sports or whatever you might be doing. You will engage the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who will add a strength to you, to me, to our lives, if we'll yield to Him and allow Him to do what He wants to do. We need to have faith in His ministry, faith in what He wants to do. It's not just physical strength. Remember, Brother Hagen talked about pulling up these trees and all that, and the power of God came on him and empowered him to do it. Yes, there's an empowerment, but it's not just physically. It's spiritual. It could be emotional and physical as well. But He's our strengthener. And then I like this one. Standby. He's on standby. It's a military term. You know, sometimes those that are in the reserves. They're on standby. They're ready to be deployed at any time they're called upon or needed. Think about that statement. You have a standby. I have a standby. Where is he standing by on the inside of me, ready to be deployed? Hallelujah. Ready to be deployed. Activated for duty. I remember when my daughter fell. Oh, my goodness. And that's all I could do is praying tongues and praying tongues and praying tongues. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit was activated. He was ready for, to be deployed for duty. And when he did, he kicked in, praise God. And the power of God fell upon me. And I lifted up my head. And I said, she's healed. And I know it now. It was a manifestation of the Spirit. A, special, a gift of special faith and operation. And praise God, it saved her life. We don't want to cut ourselves off from this kind of ministry. And some people wonder, well, wonder why these things aren't happening. Are we praying in the Holy Ghost? Are we yielding to the Holy Spirit? Are we allowing Him to move on the inside of us? I'm going to preach all night if we don't stand up. Stand, stand up. Hallelujah. 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 Man, I don't know about you, but I've got the Holy Ghost just rising up on the inside of me right now. He wants to be activated. He is ready to go. Hallelujah. He is ready to be deployed. To be set loose. Imagine him hovering over the face of the deep. All of a sudden the word went forth and what happened? He began to work in a powerful and glorious way. Did he not? Creatively. And all these things took place. Creation took place. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Another comforter. One the same as I am. Another comforter comforter i'm not leaving you i'm not forsaking you i'm sending you another one of the same kind so in other words we all have the combined presence of god the father and god the son in the person of the holy ghost living on the inside of us to do all those things for us in us and through us and all he wants us to do is have faith in it and acknowledge it so praise god let's do it can you say amen Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife Krista and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of his love for you. And With that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others.